You're listening to Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this episode number 41 of Socialist News and Views. This is our regular episode for December 2022. In the second half of the show, we have an audio essay entitled Leftist Fundamentalism and Liberal Performativity by queer mystic, liberationist educator and creator of things, Ash Van Steenwick. But first, we start with the news. That's some sounds from an event I attended at MSP Airport in solidarity with airport workers last week. Workers were fighting for good jobs and health care and starting a campaign to push politicians to pass the Good Jobs for Good Airports Act. Here's about a minute clip from that event, which was part of a National Day of Action. My name is Brahim Kone. I am the Secretary Treasurer of SEIU Local 26. The union of over 8,000 members across the Twin City. And today we are here at MSP because the workers here are fed up. Today, on this National Day of Action, Airport workers from the curb to the cabin are speaking out, demanding good jobs that respect, protect, and pay airport workers. We risked so much during COVID to keep our airport running. Across the country, we are standing up for our national politicians to pass the good jobs Good Airport Act that will help ensure frontline airport workers across the Twin City get the respect that they deserve. Are you with me? Yeah. So keep your attention on the airports as you'll definitely see these workers doing more actions in the future. U.S. COVID death toll surges in third winter of the pandemic is the title of an article on World Socialist website. The article Posted December 11th by Benjamin Mateus says data is unreliable, but from the data we do have, it's clear COVID is still disproportionately impacting older individuals. It also says, quote, a study published in April 2022 found that, quote, COVID mortality was five times higher among adults in low socioeconomic positions, end quote. You can read more on WSW.org. Down with the coup of the Peruvian oligarchy against Pedro Castillo is the title of an article on ISA by Mauro Espinola. 
On December 9th, the article says, quote, The parliamentary coup against Castillo has taken place after months of attempts by the right wing and the Peruvian oligarchy to remove the former teacher and trade unionist from office. And, quote, you can read more on internationalsocialist.net. An article on Al Jazeera speaks to the protests since the removal of Castillo. It's titled, Two Killed in Peru Protests as New President Seeks Early Election. The article from December 12th with no attributed author says, Protesters in Peru have put up barricades in some regions and are calling for new elections and the release of former President Pedro Castillo. The article also says these protests are expanding to other areas of the country and growing in size. The current president says general elections will not be held until 2024. You can read more on aljazeera.com. Workers World Party has a statement also on December 12th with the headline, Solidarity with Railroad Workers. The statement calls the recent legislation to impose a contract on railroad workers that passed through both houses of Congress and was signed by the president, anti-worker, and says it should, quote, shatter any illusions that the Democratic Party is the party of the working class, end quote. The statement ends, quote, repeal the Railway Labor Act, pass the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, all power to the workers, end quote. You can read more on workers.org. A group of rank-and-file railroaders also held national solidarity rallies across the country this week, calling for significant changes to how railroads treat workers. Internationalist Standpoint has an article on December 12th by Zhang Zhofang titled, Taiwan, November 26, Elections, a Blow to the Pro-U.S. Establishment. The article says the pro-U.S. DDP party saw a steep fall in votes since the last presidential election and allowed the main opposition party, the China-leaning KMT, to get more representatives elected. The article says other explanations for the defeat fall short and, quote, the real reason for the DPP's defeat is linked to the developments around the Sino-U.S. conflict, end quote. You can read more on internationaliststandpoint.org. Russians and the Ukraine war, few think it was a good idea, fewer want it to end in defeat, is the title of an article on Counterpunch on 12th December as well. The article is by Patrick Cockburn and primarily focuses on recent polls within Russia about the war. He draws the conclusion that more Russians, and especially younger Russians, are starting to believe that the invasion was a mistake, but that doesn't translate to opposition to the war. Cockburn quotes the newsletter, which conducted the poll, as saying, quote, the share of those who support a continuation of the war has been growing, end quote. And Cockburn ends by saying, quote, it sounds like the recipe for a lengthy conflict, end quote. You can read more on counterpunch.org. That's the news, and now we go to a short break with a poem in English and Spanish. Keeping Quiet, written by Paulo Neruda. Translated by Alistair Reed and read by George Aguilera. Now we will count to twelve and we will all keep still for once on the face of the earth. Let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales. 
and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Now I will count to twelve, and you keep quiet, and I will go. Pablo Neruda, a callarse. Ahora contaremos doce, y nos quedamos todos quietos. Por una vez sobre la tierra, no hablamos en ningún idioma. Por un segundo, Detengámonos, no movemos tanto los brazos. Sería un momento frecuente, sin prisa, sin locomotoras. Todos estaríamos juntos en una inquietud instantánea. Los pescadores del mar frío no harían daño a las ballenas. El trabajador de sal... Miraría sus manos rotas. Los que preparan guerras verdes, guerras de gas, guerras de fuego, victorias sin sobrevivientes, se pondrán un traje puro y andarían con sus hermanos por la sombra sin hacer nada. No se confunda lo que quiero con la inocencia definitiva. La vida es solo lo que se hace. No quiero nada con la muerte. Si no pudimos ser unánimes, moviendo tanto nuestras vidas, tal vez no hacer nada una vez. Tal vez un gran silencio pueda interrumpir esta tristeza. Este no entendernos jamás y amenazarnos con la muerte. Tal vez la tierra nos enseña cuando todo parece muerto y luego todo está vivo. Ahora contaré hasta doce y tú te callas y me voy. back. We'll now hear audio from the YouTube channel of Queer Mystic, liberationist, educator, and creator of things, Ash Van Steenwick. Usually we let folks introduce themselves on the show, but since this content is pre-recorded, I'll read directly from Ash's website in the section entitled A Little Bit About Ash. Mackie Ash Van Steenwick, she, they, is the executive director of the Center for Prophetic Imagination in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ash, 
formerly writing under the name Mark, is the author of A Wolf at the Gate, Unkingdom, and That Holy Anarchist, and a contributor to a number of edited tomes. Ash has been published in Sojourners, G's Magazine, JesusRadicals.com, Leadership Magazine, The Mennonite, and Mennonite World Review. Her work has been featured in the Minneapolis Star Tribune, the Boston Globe, and on CNN.com. As the former co-producer of the Iconocast, Ash interviewed Cornell West, James Cohn, Bill Ayers, Starhawk, Isaiah Tawin, and many others. These days, Ash is usually on the other side of the virtual microphone. Ash has a BS in ministry from the University of Northwestern, Master of Divinity from Bethel Theological Seminary, and studied spiritual direction at the University of St. Catherine's Graduate School. Ash is currently working on her doctoral dissertation at United Theological Seminary. Here's the audio, originally recorded in August. I've seen a lot of videos or articles bemoaning the authoritarian left or the woke left or the strident fundamentalist left. And I want to acknowledge that sometimes when people are writing things like that or making critiques, there's something there that is important. And I want to highlight that. There are real problems in different sectors of the left. Now, first of all, there's no such thing as the left. And when we're saying the left, we have to be careful and really be specify what we're talking about. Because in the United States, the left isn't very left. You know, you could argue we don't have any leftists in power. Um, you could argue we have progressives, which aren't necessarily the same thing. And that's a whole big messy pile to unpack. From from my purposes, I'm going to define the left at the very base minimum, and this is problematic, I'll acknowledge. The left, generally speaking, um, traditionally has been divided between um, people who think capitalism is bad and those who don't. Okay, so the leftist, a leftist at the very least should be someone who is strongly sympathetic with some form of socialism. Now, I would like to broaden that out because that tends to be kind of a class essentialist sort of argument. And part of the big critique that has happened, um, and it's been important, is to recognize that that's a very Eurocentric kind of way of framing things. And so, and this is already like sounding woke to lots of you, but the left, and part of what makes it complicated is it's a constellation of varying concerns about varying kinds of oppressions that are centered around varying um, types of authoritarianism and hierarchies of power. Okay? So you have colonialism, you have white supremacy, you have patriarchy, you have cis heteronormativity, you have all these different kinds of authoritarian systems that are all expressed in different institutions and they all intersect and reinforce each other and it's messy, holy shit. To an outsider, to any one of those systems, it ends up seeming seeming puritanical. So I'm white. So if I'm observing all this and I step into a context like Black Lives Matter and I step into someone's pain and struggle and I end up saying stuff that triggers a memory or a nerve it harkens back to some pain it it 
stumbles into some of my cluelessness. It recapitulates some harm. I end up doing harm. All of a sudden, to me as an outsider, and this connects back to my video, link below, um, to confusing interpersonal stuff with social stuff. All of a sudden, I might think that they're reacting to me interpersonally as though I fucked up as a bad person. And so I'm going to react now as though they're calling me a bad person. A lot of these people who end up having this knee-jerk reaction to hashtag woke ways of thinking came up as evangelicals. And so they are quick to say, you know what? You know who else is a fundamentalist? These leftists. It's the fundamentalism of the left. And what they're doing is they don't realize that they're the ones who are still stuck in a fundamentalist way of thinking. So here's what ends up happening. They react to someone who is challenging the baked-in way of whiteness that I just manifested, right? And I react as a white person interpersonally to their systemic critique. And I think they're being puritanical like a fundamentalist. And then I go on a diatribe about how the left is too woke. And so I just made a fundamental category confusion. I somehow pitched the whole thing in the category of purity and morality when they're approaching things, generally speaking, through the category of social systems and security and safety. So let me make this personal for me. And it just so happens that the trans movement is kind of the movement du jour that people talk about when it comes to woke authoritarianism. Because you have people like Dave Chappelle, who people are hand-wringing about being canceled. Now, it's interesting that you don't use language like cancellation when you're talking about, oh, I don't know, uh, a Christian minister whose career prospects suddenly tank when they come out as a trans woman. Usually cancellation is only the language we talk about with the powerful or the influential. That's interesting to know. What does that say? You hear the way that people talk about trans folks is that they have to walk on eggshells around us, that we're some sort of cultural uh, elite. Um, and it's the language is all around performativity, as though um, people have to say and do the right things for fear of being caught and being penalized. As though the goal is to rigidly perform to purity codes or they will be punished. Now there is something to that because part of the strategy is to change languages, language and norms around these things to create counter systems, counter myths, counter uh, structures that make it people not transphobic as the default setting. And you know, this ties into the previous video that I made around social systems, right? And so it makes sense that we would call attention to harmful language. And there are ways of doing that that are um, overly punitive, and there are ways to do that that are more helpful. So yeah. However, the overall goal is not to just overly punish in a draconian way. 
Now, when people focus on this sort of way of thinking about stuff, as though it's purely some sort of fundamentalist, puritanical sort of regime, uh, they're missing the point. Rather, I'm being driven by an ethic of security. I just want to be able to feel safe and entirely validated in the world. I want, I don't want to feel a, like a lesser than. I want to know that the world can entirely affirm and accept me for who I am. Not only that, celebrate the unique contributions I bring to the full extent that they celebrate any and everyone else's and that I can be just as integrated and indispensable in society as everyone else. And I want to see a society that is built upon that. I do not want to see a society or be a part of a society that marginalizes me. Now, what ends up happening is people who aren't trans don't understand and see that. They just see the system as being kind of fair and don't have the capacity because they don't have much at stake in this. They don't see the ways that I'm marginalized. So they just see me making a lot of stink over nothing. They see me being bent out of shape over very little. They see me being agitated over no big deal. And so then what they see as me being punitive and overreactive and canceling poor, poor Dave Chappelle is actually me just asserting a very basic, usually very low standard of common decency. And this is a problem. If my <laughs> low assertion for common decency causes such a reaction that people think it's authoritarian, then I don't know what's going to happen when I start asking for full, full acceptance and full celebration. But this idea that wokeism has run amok makes the fundamental mistake that people that are being woke are all just being driven by ideological purity and they're attacking people out of a fundamentalist instinct. And while there is some of that, a lot of us are just trying to feel secure and trying to create a society where we can be secure. Now, there are puritanical, usually white liberal performative people who are driven by a need to perform well. Interestingly, the people who are most likely to perpetrate the very thing that um, these folks are complaining about are kind of the same people. So you get the people saying, oh no, woke authoritarianism is bad because it's all performative. That's why I had to leave the left. Are usually complaining about the people who are just like them but more successful at it. Let me explain. These folks are complaining about the performative, uh, sort of a performative white liberalism, usually, 
who are looking at this as a performance game, who then jump on those who can't perform the game well, saying, gotcha, playing kind of a gotcha version of quote-unquote wokeism. Now, the people who are most likely to gatekeep purely from some sort of rules-based fundamentalist framework of performativism are performative white liberals who see it as sort of personal morality because they don't have any other thing in it for themselves. Right? So as a trans woman, I have something in it for myself for having very queer affirming spaces because my safety is online. If I were a cishet dude, why would I care about this? I would care about this because I want to be a good ally, right? I might care about it for other reasons, and that would take a lot of deeper digging, right? But if I were only caring about it because I wanted to be seen as a good person, and I were anxiously doing it for moralistic reasons, right? Then I'd be doing it then I would have a vested interest in being seen as playing the game well. And I would jump on other people who aren't playing the game well. If I did, and I were playing the game well, then I would get, gain social prestige. Okay? So, because I'd be performing well. And if I weren't playing the game well, and started feeling alienated, then I'd get pushed out, and then I'd start saying, oh, look at those fuckers. To me, these are all the same kind of people. And it's why white performative liberals in social justice spaces are always seen in different groups like, with suspicion. And so this is true of me in um, like Black Lives Matter spaces. I'd be seen with this sort of suspicion. Any sort of space where people that want to be allies are in um, are going to be seen with suspicion because people are going to be looking to see why are you there. Because if you're there because you want to be seen as a good person or you want to be doing the right thing and that's the only reason you're there at some point um, if you get burnt out you can like leave the movement angrily and throw people under the bus um, and then become kind of fashy that's what's happened with a lot of people I've seen a lot of people become really fascistic in the last you know, five years because they got burnt out on this stuff and suddenly they took turn and shifted into a whole new direction because they couldn't play the game well and out of some sort of like weird um, for like psychological reasons they end up turning on movements they used to be a part of and they spiritualize it sometimes what's required is going deeper and starting realizing the properly selfish reasons why you should be a part of that movement The reason why it's in your best interest as a white person to care about Black Lives Matter is because um, whiteness is toxic for white people. By whiteness, I mean the social systems that whiteness as a social construct created, which is not the same as being German or Irish or Scottish, which have cultural content, but whiteness as a superstructure, as a colonialist superstructure. We should all want to destroy that. It's tied up with the construction of colonization and capitalism and Christian supremacy. Those things are bad. We should want to undo them and destroy them and replace them with something 
life-giving. So the more we realize that and what the life-giving alternatives are, and the more we find that connecting in common cause with different groups is life-giving, the more that comes off when we're in these spaces and we become complicit in these movements for liberation. And the more that is seen, the more we're seen as trustworthy. Now, as a queer person working for trans liberation, the more I see anxious cis people around me worrying about if they're going to say the right thing as the primary motive, I can tell, I can pick up on those of you who are around me anxious about being a good ally, and which of you who are just realizing, like, how this cis heteropatriarchy is messed up and is bad for everybody, and how we all need a little bit of queer trans magic in our lives. And I can, so I can tell which of you are just trying to perform around me, and which of you are drawn to me because you find there's something healing about it. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Another reminder, if you're around large groups of people, especially in indoor settings, this is a good time to return to wearing a tight-fitting N95 or KN95 mask around others. COVID cases are going up and new variants continue to emerge. In addition, hospitals are seriously struggling with other increases in flu and RSV. Let's keep finding ways to keep each other and our communities as safe as possible while we fight for a better world. We keep us safe. Solidarity. to stay alive. This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. Ford.